Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focused. Our guest right now is Dr. Catherine Sherrod, and uh, she is a Nashville psychologist. And we're going to talk a little bit about the stress that a lot of the nation has been under for about the past two and a half years. Right. I'm talking about the fear of contracting COVID and trying to make sure everything is clean and sanitary and wiped. And now kids going back to school and the world opening back up. What do you tell your clients about how to handle that stress and that anxiety that's kind of built up? Honestly, I am more likely to tell my clients that it's, it's maybe not effective to be anxious about COVID because we really don't understand who gets actually sick. It seems that everybody has been exposed by now and half of everybody at least has had COVID once or twice. And some of the people I know who were terrified of having COVID have now had it. And it was like, well, it wasn't fun, but it wasn't that big a deal either. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to pay attention to the fact that not very many people appear to be getting terribly sick right now. So it's take care of yourself. And in all honesty, stress does not help you ward off disease. Stress is not your friend. It makes you more susceptible yeah. to getting sick. If you want to keep yourself as safe as possible, one of the things you want to do is realize that you're not responsible for the outcome of many things. And catching COVID is an outcome that you really don't have control over because most of the people I know who caught it have no idea where they got it. Some of them always washed their hands, always wore a mask, only went to the grocery store and the library, never went anywhere else, got it anywhere somehow yeah yeah. so um and other people have just been out and about been flying the entire pandemic either for work or vacations and it it's something that doesn't make sense actually this whole covid thing we don't know who is going to get sick how sick they're going to get we don't exactly know how to protect ourselves from it so what i tell people is use whatever level of protection and self-care you want to use as in if you want to wear a mask wear a mask i i have clients who are still wearing masks i have clients who virtually never wore a mask if they didn't have to so i have quite a variety of people and Mm -hmm. i just tell people this is a situation as, as are most situations where i want you to take care of yourself do what makes sense to you and we'll get through this the best we can and you said you're not responsible for the outcome of the everything. You outcome. can't control everything. No, you can't control everything because, as I say, I know people who followed all of the guidelines and got COVID anyway. And I know people who followed none of the guidelines and never got COVID. So there's there's some there's some um, unpredictability there, as there yes. often is with outcomes. And so I tell people all the time, you are responsible for doing the best you can do. But what happens after that is probably not under your control. You're not that powerful. <laughs> and so that applies to everything. <laughs> that applies to everything. You are responsible for doing the best that you can do. And after that, the outcome is not in your hands. You're not that powerful. You're not that powerful. You're not on the results committee. <laughs> Okay, that's very good. That's that's very helpful. Hard to remember, but actually true. Can you think of very many things that you actually controlled the outcome of when you wanted to? Well, that's kind of like the thing. uh, Can you make yourself taller? I like. (laughs) No, no, No. I can stress over it 
but all my 24 hours a day. This is what we got. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. So uh, do you have specific ways perhaps that you you, uh, tell your clients to like breathe or... Are there certain things that can help us kind of feel? There are some things that can help us. and But the first one is I, I think most people will feel a little calmer if they quit thinking they're responsible for the outcome so they would quit blaming themselves if it didn't turn out right. Oh, That self-blame is a really serious problem. But that aside, if you are feeling stressed, there are some things you can do in deep breathing is actually more useful than a lot of people realize it is because when you get stressed, you tend to breathe very shallowly. And there are almost times when people seem as if they've quit breathing because they're breathing so shallowly. They're holding themselves so tightly that um, their breathing is strongly affected. And that's not good for your body. So if you very intentionally kind of put your arms down and take a deep breath and count, two, three numbers, and then intentionally push that deep breath out further than you might normally and count two, three numbers and just kind of focus on your breathing and counting. It's a little hard to be focused on your stress at the same time that you're focused on your breathing. And deep breathing really is good for the body. So this is something that you can do to get your mind out of that cycle it might have gotten caught in. That's one thing. Okay. Meditation has been shown to be helpful to people and a lot of people, I just can't clear my mind, which I totally understand. So for anyone who has difficulty with meditation, I suggest that they go on YouTube or wherever they choose to go and find what's called a guided meditation. So they're going to talk you through it. Now we're walking through a green meadow and there's a stream, whatever. Right. Uh, So they will be talking you and guiding you through it. So you don't have to clear your brain, which simply doesn't work for many, many people. Um, And then just follow the, the music and the guided meditation for maybe 10, 15 minutes a day. And see how that works for you. It it really does help people calm down Mm -hmm. uh, often. Do you find Dr. Sherrod that, our stress often comes from us getting out of the moment. And my stress comes from what if I get COVID and what if I take it to my husband and what if this happens? We, and, right. and the breathing gets us back right now focused on. It, it, it can, the breathing can help get us back. But I, I love the way you set that up by saying we get stressed when we're not in the moment, when we're in the future, because that's when we're making ourselves responsible for the outcome. Oh, What if I get sick and I take it to my husband or my elderly mother or my whatever, then I would be responsible for that and I would feel terrible and I would beat myself up over that forever. Sure. And I would be inclined to say beating yourself up for an outcome over which you really had no control is probably not good mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's pay attention to the process that if something goes wrong, you're going to act like you had the power to do something to make that not happen. You're going to beat yourself up. Could we do something different? So if you stay in the moment, in the moment, what you can do is the best you can do. Yeah. That you have control over. And the reality is we can be happy in the moment. We can be who we are at the moment. But in the future, we're not there. So we're dividing ourselves between the moment, which is where we really are, 
and the future, which is where we're imagining ourselves being. And then we have divided our energies and we have divided everything. And we're far less effective than if we kind of stay where we are. And I'm not saying that you never plan because you you do. I can see that in a year I'm going to have to whatever. So I'm going to make some steps to prepare for that. But I'm not going to live in those steps that I'm not there yet. Because you become powerless in the moment if you're fo- just focused on what may right. or may not happen. I'm not doing anything right. right now. I'm not doing anything. It's like trying to cross a bridge you're not in front of. Uh, <laughs> it's a little hard to get your feet in the right place. <laughs> yes. I think we do that with the past as well. We definitely do that with the past. So I'm reliving what happened in the past. And I'm thinking, now, if I had only, you know, if, if I, I should have. I, I knew it. I I, I I should have known it, whatever. And again, we're beating ourselves up for something that didn't work out the way we would have hoped it did. And then we're blaming ourselves for that outcome. And it's not maybe that we didn't do something that was inappropriate. Do you know any humans who haven't done something inappropriate? Because I don't. (laughs) No. And sometimes we pay consequences for those inappropriate things. And sometimes we don't. That's a little unpredictable, too. When we beat ourselves up, I often find that it's the very sensitive people who did minor little things that they're beating themselves up for forever, whereas people who are less sensitive who did more major things are like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) So sometimes it's important to seek some guidance from somebody about whether this business of beating yourself up for something you did 10 years ago is really beneficial to the world or you <laughs> and by guidance like mental mental health guidance or well, a friend it, or it could be mental health guidance it could be a friend um you never know where the information's gonna come from people tell me that they got good guidance from coaches from teachers from next door neighbors it sort of depends on where you are and whom you become acquainted with and Mm -hmm. whether you listen there's almost always somebody who has some guidance for you whether you're going to listen or not that's a different issue how do you tell good guidance from bad guidance i've got friends who just say crazy crap sorry Hmm. friends (laughs) that's actually a really good question and sometimes people get so confused that they can't tell good guidance from bad guidance at all And then sometimes it's helpful to actually find a therapist or somebody you really trust, could be a religious leader, could be uh, a relative. It doesn't matter who it is. It only matters that you really trust this person and say, this person said this to me and I kind of reacted that way. What do you think? And give that person, that wiser person that you rely on an opportunity to reflect back and then learn to pay attention because there's probably a part of you that's aware of what's going on and learn better to listen to that part of you. Oh, I have a a girlfriend who would uh, go through an experience and then she would tell everybody she knew. She said, what do you think I ought to do? And then she (laughs) would ask me, what do you think I ought to do? She said, so-and-so says I should sue him, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so-and-so sleeping on your couch. (laughs) Like, I feel like you should ask people who are succeeding at life, who are happy and who are living well and who are succeeding at life just with, you know, they're Mm -hmm. satisfied, not somebody who's just not thriving. That's that's fair. But 
like in that case, it seems like she asked so many people. She got so much feedback, and then she didn't take a lot of action. Well, what happens is if you ask 10 different people what you should do at a circumstance, you're probably going to get at least eight different answers. So those people are not you, and they're going to answer for what they should do, not what they think you should do. That Especially when you get in the shoulds, we're getting into the, I, I, I should do this, not this makes sense for me. Wait, wait. That, that is a big definition there. That's a big yeah. uh, line there. When I say I should, you should, there's a high probability that what I'm saying is actually not coming from me. It's a rule that was handed down to me from somebody else. And I'm just repeating it. I really should I really have the sh- family over for Thanksgiving. That's a rule you picked up from somebody else. So I ask people, what does it sound like when you say, I choose to? I've decided to, I want to, and then see if the sentence ends differently. Oh my goodness. That's major. So when you get into the shoulda, woulda, couldas and all that, I should. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I choose to. I choose to. I want to. I want to. I've decided to. Wow. Those are my words then. Mm -hmm. The, the, I choose to, I decide to, I want to. Those are my words. The should is somebody else's word. I don't even know who it is. Um, but it's somebody else's words. And so if you say, I want to have everyone over. No, I don't. I don't want to have everybody over for Thanksgiving. Why not? Why is it that you don't want everybody over? Because I hate cooking. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what do you want? I would love for us to go out to a restaurant, honestly. I don't know how everybody else feels about it, but I could at least raise it as a possibility. Or... You know what, what I want, what I really want is I would like to cook, but I'd like to cook blank instead of a turkey. But I've always been afraid to say I didn't want to cook a turkey. I really want hamburgers, a roast. Yeah. I want something and and try and see what it sounds like, what it feels like. And maybe it's not such a bad idea. Maybe it's a reasonable idea and you can have what you want. And the people who are coming might enjoy it better because you're happier. And they might be, feel freer to ask for what they want. They might feel freer. Oh, next year, let's do hamburgers and fries. Yeah. I've always wanted hamburgers and fries. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. There's somebody out there who wants it that way. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, this is Focus, and we're talking with Dr. Catherine Sherrod, a Nashville psychologist. It seems like it's selfish to say, I want, I'd rather. It uh-huh. feels like yeah. we've been taught and in our society that it's hard to go to I want because you're trying to please other people. You're trying to please everybody. But what happens is if, if you never say I want, most people get a little irritable. And so they're busy trying to please everybody else, but they're just a little irritable that I never get what I want. Nobody ever asked me what I want. If they ask me what I want, I say I'm fine, so they don't really know. But... Oh. So it actually doesn't facilitate communications. It's very different to say, I would like to whatever. Um, How does that sound to you? Can we negotiate? Can we work it out? Versus I want, I want, I want, I want everything I want. I don't care what you want. That's very different. Oh, true. So think about your friend Jane and you and Jane like to go out to lunch, whatever. And if you ask Jane, where does she want to go? Anywhere you want to go. And she always only says she's pleasing you anywhere you want to go. You're like, could you once just tell me where you want to go? I'd really like that. I mean, truly, if you're 
really connected with somebody, you do want to know what they want. Yes. And you can say, okay, I'm not having burgers and fries for Thanksgiving dinner, but what about the next week? Why don't we all get together and we'll do the burgers and fries? I'm sorry, I just need turkey and ham for Thanksgiving. It's just me. Can you put up with that? I guess I can. You can ask for what you want in a negotiating way so that I'm hearing you and I'm offering my suggestion for what I want. And maybe we can come out with something that actually suits both of us. Do you think that we fail to communicate and negotiate in Uh, a lot of situations where we end up unhappy? Frequently, yeah. I think we are trying so hard, some of us sometimes, to be helpful that we don't give people clues for what we want. And, And sometimes what we want isn't that far off from what they want. Um, or what they would be willing to, or what they would be willing to try. Um, and yeah, I all in favor of negotiations because sometimes, oh, you, you wouldn't want to do that. So I, I can't ask you, uh, to go to the mountains with me this weekend. Cause I, I know you wouldn't do, how do I know you wouldn't do that? Right. I'm not in your head. I say to people, any question you want to ask somebody is fair because you don't read their mind and you are not in their head and you might think you know. That one of my favorite examples of that, as I was going out of town and there was a friend of mine who'd watched my dogs a few times, I asked if she could watch this weekend and I'm thinking to myself, I hope I'm not pushing this. And her answer to me was, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I love watching your dogs because I can't have dogs where I live and that gives me a chance to have play pretend dogs and I get to spend the whole weekend with them. Um, And then I don't really have any responsibilities and I'm good. So I was doing her a favor by asking her to watch my dog. That hadn't occurred to me as an option. Right. I was reading her mind and thinking, you know, am I asking for too much? But I asked her anyway. Do you think we do a little, (laughs) maybe too much uh, attempts at at mind reading? I think we do way too much (laughs) mind reading and then way too much interpretation. What do you mean? When I asked you to go to Gatlinburg this week and you said, no, it's because you don't like me. As opposed to you already have plans to go to Colorado this weekend. I mean, I make this stuff up and I'm so sure that I'm right. And generally, it's not even an interpretation I like. That has to do with that would have to do with my low self-esteem. Basically. And my feeling of uh, uh, being unlovable or something. Right. Yeah. If I jump too quickly to you said no and I make up the reason, Mm -hmm. I usually make up a reason I don't like that is not true. Why do we do that? I don't know. It's a really bad habit. Can we break it? Yeah. Bad habits can be broken. And the way you break it is by learning to say, to just need to check with you. When I asked you to go to Gatlinburg, you said you didn't want to go. Um, How come? I mean, that's not a terribly hard question. Oh, because I've got tickets to go to Colorado. Oh, yeah, well, that's a pretty good re- good reason. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Do you or, think maybe we don't ask because we're afraid of the answer? We're afraid that answer will be what we have in our head. Uh, sometimes, yeah, we're afraid the answer will be what's in our head. Because I don't like you and you're... <laughs> yeah, wow. How, how often is that actually going to happen? Well, right. <laughs> not Not very often. Right asking and and maybe you don't like to go to the mountains actually I don't like to go to the mountains I'd really rather go to the beach with you or I'd really rather go to a concert whatever yeah but you could give the person an opportunity to tell you what they really want if you 
just ask, so what's going on with you? Rather than, well, that was a jerky thing to do. That was mean. That's right. what I'm thinking in my head. Or I'm ridiculous. I shouldn't have asked you. Mm-hmm. And so then I knew she was still mad at me from two exactly, weeks ago. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. So I lose information when I make up in my mind what's happening. I experienced that recently with a friend who, when I saw her, she was upset and she was kind of short and abrupt. Right. You triggered that. You reminded me of that when you said, what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. I asked that. I said, so what's, so how are you? What's going on? And that opened and, a floodgate. Right. Worst There's day ever, whole, blah, blah, blah. It had nothing to do with me. Generally, it doesn't have anything to do with you, by the way. Other people actually have lives. <laughs> <laughs> It's not all about me. (laughs) So they're reacting to you from within their life, just as you react to people from within your life. And um, if you you catch people in a difficult moment, yes, they're going to be short or they're going to turn away. I can't talk now. Really busy. And it doesn't mean anything bad. That's just it is a bad time for them. Uh, But truly, most greatest percentage of how people respond to somebody else is from me. Not not so much at you, but from me at whomever is standing in front of me at the moment. It, it, oh. Think about it, because you've got people who are really easy to get along with, and you ask them how they're doing, and everything's fine, and can we go to lunch, and yeah, that's great, why don't we meet at, okay, everything's smooth. And you have other people who are just a little more irritable mm-hmm. a good portion of the time, and the people who are really easy to get along with are probably easy to get along with for you and your next door neighbor. The people who are a little irritable are probably irritable with you and your next door neighbor. It doesn't matter who's in front of us. We kind of do our thing. We kind of are ourselves. And what is that that when a person is under pressure, they become more of themselves or something like that? Well, typically, it's not they become more their true selves. They become more likely to demonstrate their deepest held defense mechanism. Wow. They don't become more true to themselves at all, They, but they hold on to their deepest defense mechanism. So when I'm upset, I'm going to work twice as hard as I normally do. When I'm upset, if I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to drink twice as much as I normally do. Or I'm going to put up walls. Or I'm going to put up walls. Oh. I Don't talk to me. I, I have nothing for you right now. Right. So... Whatever it is that I use to protect myself, that's what I'm going to do more of when I'm stressed. I do not become more my true self at all. Mm-hmm. I become more of my compartmentalized self that seems to me protective. And our protective behaviors uh, frequently keep people away. But are they effective? Oh, no. No. No, they don't protect us at all. It's just something we hold on to like a talisman, like a security blanket. But no, they're not effective. So if I'm the workaholic and I work twice as much when I'm stressed, that probably really doesn't help my stress level. And it doesn't help the relationship or whatever has caused, whatever we feel has caused. If I drink twice as much or if I snap at you or if I build wall, whatever I do to protect myself when I'm feeling stressed is probably going to be a little over the top. And so I do it because I don't know how not to do it right now. But no, it's not working so well right now. It probably worked a long time ago in a situation a long time ago. 
and I continued to use it, but frequently the situation I'm in right now doesn't work so well. Like when you're a kid, like when you're and holding kid. your hand with you're holding your mom's hand when you cross the street. Yeah, you don't have to do that when you're an adult, right? But this, yeah, this is this is a certain hand holding, as it were. I'm trying to keep myself safe and protected. How do we figure out what our protective behaviors mm. are? Well, frequently we don't see them. Uh, we we protect ourselves from seeing our protective behaviors, but frequently those close to closest to us actually do see them. What do you think I do when I'm stressed? What you do when you're stressed is you go out and run, you exercise like a maniac, you, whatever. You go to work, you drink, you get nasty to people, you watch movies, you binge watch, whatever. It's amazing that other people, even if they're not with you when you're doing it, they know what you're doing. Well, not always. I mean, yeah, but frequently somebody else has observed. Mm-hmm. And if they say that, the first response typically is, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Glad you asked. <laughs> so is it kind of like uh, when, when someone is interacting with us and they say something that makes us feel bad, we need to remember, again, that that's how right. they're reacting from their viewpoint. And it right. kind of, sometimes it doesn't really have an, uh, much of anything to do with us. Oh, frequently, like, it doesn't have much of anything to do with you. Like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm this beautiful, wonderful person, but you snap at me and I think, oh, man, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Yeah. But it's not true. Per- it's Pretty much it's in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, ugly's in the eye of the beholder. Rude is in the eye of the beholder. So if someone's rude to me. That is within your definition. But rude actually does not have a universal definition. Oh, I see. For example, if you live in the Northeast and you're having an animated conversation with somebody, there's a high probability that you're both going to interrupt each other. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is to make the conversation go faster. And it's a snappy conversation in the South. You don't interrupt people because that's rude. Understand that people from different parts of the country have great difficulty communicating with each other because they do it differently. But rude just depends on your culture and where you came from. It's a relative term. There is no objective rudeness. Just as beauty, we accept the beauty one. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We know that line. And we know that beauty is a relative thing. It's not objective. So is ugly and so is Lots of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They're how we interpret it. What could we tell ourselves to stop trying to read minds so much and stop trying to take things that other people say to heart and go, well, they're probably right. I'm just a jerk or whatever. Well, the one thing in terms of reading minds, I'm, I'm curious to know, has anybody ever misread your mind? Oh, yeah. And thought you meant something you didn't And actually said, I know you're thinking this. I think I told you about this years yeah, ago. Somebody yeah. s- uh, start, had an argument and he said something and then he said, and now I know you're thinking this, but right. I'm going to say, and he had an argument completely by himself. <laughs> Pretty much. I right. mean, literally, I was not able to say this, a word. This is what we all do when we read somebody else's mind. I know, I know what you're thinking. I know you're, and <laughs> we don't even necessarily say it out loud, but we know it. All right. To remind ourselves that there have been a few occasions when somebody misread our minds And we might remember, oh, yeah, I thought they were kind of off. Maybe I, too, misread people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I need to be aware. 
that my reading of other people is probably not nearly as accurate as I think it is. And perhaps use my words and say, so. So what are you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) But that's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So that was one. Okay. And then then the second part of what you were saying was, it's just because I'm a loser. And then I'm doing the self-attack. And I'm like, okay, that's that's really interesting. You you say ugly things to yourself. You say really not nice things to yourself. So tell me who else you would talk to like that. Nobody? Correct. I'm confused because if you think that's the proper way to talk to somebody, I think you should talk to everybody that way. <laughs> when you talk to yourself that ugly way, I want you to hear it because what you're doing is you're saying it so fast and you're not actually listening to the words, but you're feeling the attack and then you're kind of closing down. You're not open to communication. I want you to hear every ugly thing you say to yourself. Well, that was stupid. I mean, what kind of an idiot would? And I want you to say, well, that was stupid. What? Wait, wait a minute. Where, Where does that come from? What am I accomplishing by that? Whose voice is that? Oh, whose voice is that? Whose voice is that? Where did I learn to say that was stupid? Oh, wow. What, what kind of an idiot are you? Whose voice is that? What, what am I trying to accomplish? So you no longer get to say nasty things to yourself real quickly and let them go by. You have to hear them. And decide if it's accurate. Because um, it's... And to not decide whether it's accurate, but to decide... Why, why would you do this? And, yeah. Tell me how that is helpful because I always want to know what is beneficial for you. What's working for you? What kind of an idiot would do that is not information for me. When you're talking to me, I need you to give me more words. I need you to say it in a different way so that I can understand what the meaning of your message is. And then I want you to learn to talk to yourself. Well, I'm just really angry with myself because I didn't do the laundry and then I didn't have the clothes that I wanted to wear to go out. Oh, okay. So what I'm hearing you say is you didn't plan ahead as well as you wish you had. Yeah. So I'm I'm wanting to expand on that to get some more words until it doesn't become such an automatic thing. Yeah. Well, you're a terrible person or whatever. Yeah. We're out of time. Oh, darn. I know. So any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Because that was fantastic. What I want people to do is when they hit a wall, when I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I didn't do anything right, or you're ugly, you're stupid, you didn't. When you get to those extreme statements, ask some more questions about why you're saying that. What's really going on? What's the message you want to convey to yourself? What's the message you want to convey to the other person? Nashville psychologist, Dr. Catherine Sherrod. We're going to put some links so you can get in touch with her on our Focus Facebook page. Thank you again. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.